0: All right, so we're going to be in Malachi chapter two, but we're like halfway through it. Bo made it halfway through the, the, fir- the, the first two chapters. And like uh, basically what's been happening in this book is God has been calling out his people for kind of taking their service to him like kind of light because their lives aren't really going the way that they think that they should be. And so they're kind of lashing out against God. Like, man, we still believe we're still going to church. We're still serving him. But their hearts ain't in it at all. You know, they they really don't have any heart for God at all. And so God is starting with, as he usually does in his in his books of condemnation, he starts with the priest, he starts with the leadership, and he works his way down. So we're still we're still on the priests, we're still on the spiritual leaders. Okay, verse eleven says this Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. And now we're going to see how, how Judah had actually taken the institution that we call marriage and they've profaned it. They've done two things that God is just angry about. Okay? And, and I love this book because this is one of the first passages in the Bible that we could look at and see that God loves, cherishes, and honors marriage. Like that's something that he's like into. He loves it. You know? So if you're going to all your friends that are going to tell you like, man, marriage is lame. You know, and why, why can't we just cohabitate? Why can't I just live with my girlfriend for years and years and years? And why, why do we have to get married? And, and what's the point and all this stuff? Well, one of your first reasons if you believe in Jesus is like, well, because Jesus says that it's holy institution and he loves it. So shouldn't I want to be a part of it? You know, should I really want to act like the world does and, and treat marriage like it's, it's a bummer and a drag when God says it's something that he loves? But let's let's talk. We're going to talk a little bit as we go through what the Israelites did wrong, and we're going to talk about like why God loves it so much, why it's something that's so beautiful to God. Okay, so he says uh, later on in verse eleven, after he says that, he says he has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off the tents of Jacob, the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Okay, so the people of the day, and if you want to get some context, read the book of Nehemiah. And at the end of Nehemiah, the people, the men there, had started to marry foreign women. Okay, which God expressly told his people not to do. It's not because God is racist and he was against like uh, pure blood pollution. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. You know, where people were freaking out. They're like, man, jungle fever. Like, you know, when a white girl wanted to be with a black guy and everyone freaked out. You know, that's not what was going on with God. God wanted to keep his people pure and holy in the sense of their religious devotion to him. And he knew, man, if you marry one of these foreign women who are into idolatry, man, you're not going to influence them. They will influence you. Okay? You're not going to convert them over. They're going to convert you over. Okay? Now, in the New Testament, we have a commandment just like this. Okay? Jesus says, hey, don't be yoked with a non-believer. That If you, if you follow me, don't be yoked with someone who's a non-believer. Okay? And in our heads, what we think is like, well, you know, like, but she's such a good person, you know, and maybe, you know, if I tell her enough about God and if I do this, then maybe she'll come over to my side of thinking, you know, you can't win someone over to the holiness of God by compromising your morals first. That's, that's just a literal, logical impossibility. How are you going to show somebody the holiness of God by compromising step one? Okay, step one to convert you. I'm going to compromise my moral values. Step two, I'm going to show you how moral values are important. You know, that doesn't work. It'd be kind of like if I was like, man, I really want to minister to my buddies, you know, but they like drinking. So I'm going to go out and get drunk with them, you know, and that way then I could really communicate with them, you know, and that way I could get on their level and they can see, they could see that I'm, I'm with them, you know, and that temptation has definitely been in me because I hang out with my buddies who are who drink and do drugs and stuff like that and that that thought has kind of crossed my brain before like man maybe if i if i got high you know with them i could really get into the word with them you know and then they would really listen to me but it's just it doesn't work you know it just doesn't work at all i'm going to save you guys that i'm going to save you guys that that trial and error state of your life and just tell you it won't work you will be converted to them they will not be converted to you it won't work that way okay now, there's a second reason why God says, hey, don't do it. Okay? And I know a lot of you guys are going to be tempted this way, of going out with someone who doesn't believe the way you do. You're going to be tempted that way. Okay? Here's another reason why you don't do it. God created marriage for one specific purpose. He created it for one beautiful purpose. You remember, Adam was in the garden. He was alone. And he had perfect fellowship with God. And God said, man, everything's good. Then he looked at Adam and he's like, man, it's not really good that Adam's alone. Okay? So he gave him a woman as a helper. You know, and I think about that a lot. I'm like, dude, like, why did Adam need a helper that was a woman? You know, did he need help like farming? So I think like a monkey would be a lot better help than a woman. No offense, you know, but I think that there's like a lot of animals that would be a better help, like if it was just for farming. You know, so like, what what, what was she a help for? And I think about that. I'm like, well, a marriage. What God intended in marriage is God wanted to reflect His nature to the world, and so He created this institution to help do that. Okay, how am I going to, once again, how am I going to grow in the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ unless I have someone in my life where I get to pour into, serve them, and treat them better, esteem them higher than myself, and die to myself? How am I ever going to do that? Okay, so God created marriage as a way for me to learn, to learn how Jesus feels about me. And how, how did Jesus, man, lay down his life for me? How did Jesus love me even though I was going astray? What does that feel like to love someone and have them not love you back? Like, what, what is that about? You know, and if you really want to delve into those questions, man, marriage is the place to do it. Relationship is the place to do it. You get to learn more and understand more about your Jesus than ever before in this one relationship. Okay. Now, Jesus also says some crazy things to us. He says, man, we're one. When Adam and and God were hanging out, God says, dude, we're one. Man, I'm in you. I'm with you, but I'm in you too. You know, and I'm also on you. You know, there was a a coming on of the Holy Spirit and power. And so then there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then there was a nature of God that was able to walk right beside Adam. So there's this beautiful intimacy that, that Adam didn't really grab. And Adam definitely didn't grab the triune nature of God. God was like, dude, I'm, I'm three in one. There's three of us, but we're one. We're one God, but three. I didn't even get that, you know, because we're not like that. So God's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create this relationship. I'm going to create this relationship. And in this relationship, you're going to get, you're going to finally understand this unity that I have in myself. And that's why when Adam saw Eve, the first thing he said is, man, this is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh, Adam understood the unity, the the unifying nature of his relationship with Eve, and he think, thought it was beautiful. It's like, man, I can finally understand my God, you know, because when I he became intimate with her, when he became intimate with her, he understood, man, we're one. There's a unity here, man. I'm with her, and I'm in her, just like God is with me and in me. Not that God's having weird sex with us or nothing like that. I don't want you guys to get some weird cultish view of what I'm talking about. I want you guys to understand that God, your Father, created physical things to help you understand spiritual things because we can't see spirit. Okay? If I were to ask you guys, how many of you guys have a spirit? I hope you all raise your hand. How many of you guys have seen your spirit? How many of you guys have touched it, weighed it? And, okay, you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't weigh it. It takes up no space inside your body, yet you and I are convinced that it's in there. And the Bible says that your spirit has needs, and only God can fill those needs. So, how am I going to understand my spirit's needs? Well, God provided physical examples for me. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Dude, your spirit needs food, it needs me. Okay, how do I understand that? God created a physical need in me. I have to eat, right? I have to eat, I have to be satisfied. Okay? Jesus said, man, if, if anyone asks of my Father, man, he will give you rivers of living water, man, to drink from, and you're gonna be filled. Okay, so my spirit needs water. Okay, how do I understand that? My body needs water and it needs it consistently. Okay, so God created these physical things inside of his creations to help me understand him. Okay? Why would I think that marriage is any different? Why would I think that sex is any different? Okay? Now what God is saying is there's a way. That you and I can pollute marriage and sexuality. Okay? Because if God is looking at it, he's like, Dude, this is something that I love. It is holy. It is beautiful. Man, it is something that is so right on and I I just love it. I love looking at it. But he says, Dude, there's a way you can mess it up though. There's a way that you can pollute that thing and to make it ugly. To make it something that God would look at and be angry with. Okay? And so many people in our culture, there are very few people in our culture today that would look at your sexuality and say that's a valuable thing. That is valuable. Don't you know how valuable that is? Man, that that is your way. That is a way in your body that God created to be special and intimate, which is one person, because that's to reflect His nature with you. That don't you know? Don't you know you're one spirit with God? That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you know that He's one with you? And that there's you shouldn't be going out whoring yourself out to other gods, that you've just got one God, and that God doesn't have multiple brides. Okay? God's not going out and he's not giving his Holy Spirit to Hare Krishna's, you know? He's not going out and he's not filling Buddhists. Okay, he's got one bride and it's the church. That's it. Okay? So why would you pollute that nature and have multiple sexual partners like the world tells you to? Okay? How does that work? How am I to reflect God's nature of love and love is a unifying singularity and I'm going to take love and I'm going to pollute it and I'm going to turn it into lust and now I have multiple sexual partners. What's the world tells you to do? Why would you do that? Okay, God values your sexuality. He says it's beautiful. Don't take it for granted. Don't disperse your fountains abroad. Don't mess with it. And how do I expect, as someone who's going to be married, how do I expect to watch pornography, which depicts lustful sex, and then expect to somehow go into bed with my future spouse and turn off the lust? How do I expect to go home and self-gratify to masturbate, thinking about many other women, and then all of a sudden go home, be married, and just think about one woman and love her and think about her betterment? Does it work like that? And can you do that? Because I can't do that. And you can try. <laughs> and then you can come to my group later. And you can and you can talk about it and how it didn't work. You know, I'm literally filled. My life is filled with men who've tried it and who failed. And, and it's sad to me. And women who have tried and who have failed. And it sucks. Man, but it's something that God, from the beginning, He's told us. Dude, don't mess with it. Don't pollute it. Don't pollute it. Okay? It is a misrepresentation of God. When I go out and I pollute this relationship, you have to understand I am misrepresenting God and God is not happy with that. Okay? I always tend to think about Moses. right? And Moses committed one sin in his life that God did not forgive. He said, dude, you cannot go into the promised land because you committed this one sin. He was faithful his whole life. but He committed this one sin. You know what it was? He misrepresented God and the people were complaining to Moses. Moses had the rock. The rock represented Jesus. Moses was supposed to speak to the rock and water was come out, but what did he say? Shall I strike this rock and bring forth water again? He got pissed at them. He brought out his staff, he started hitting the rock, and then water came out and God was like, "Moses, we got to chat, dude. I wasn't angry at the people. I wasn't pissed at them. You just misrepresented me, man. And you can't come into the land now." So I think about that in my life. How do I misrepresent God? I could seriously misrepresent God in my relationship. In my one dating relationship that I have, I can seriously damage the way that you guys see God just by the way I treat Emma. That's it. I could damage it. And I have to understand that. Okay, It's very serious. God takes it very serious. But when we take it serious and we understand the nature and we understand the beauty that's in it, it's something that has the ability to shine God in a way that no, nothing else will ever do. In Ephesians 5, when it talks about it, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. And before the men get all happy, a couple verses before that, it says, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So we all submit. But what he's saying is, and when he says that, he says, wives, submit to your husbands just as we submit to God. So what am I supposed to look at? I'm supposed to be able to see a woman and the way that she in meekness submits to her husband. I'm supposed to be like, whoa, that should be how I submit to God. The way that she acts with her husband, that's exactly how I should respect and honor God. That's 100% how I should do it. And in meekness. And he says, husbands, love your wives. This is Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So when I look at a husband, I should be like, man, that's how God loves me. Sacrificially. He always puts my knees before his own. Man, he just loves me and he cares me and he rejoices over me. I should be able to look at a husband and a wife and I should so clearly see the nature of God reflected in them. I should see a sermon every single day I hang out with them. That's what I should see with my eyes. That's the purpose of marriage. That's why it's beautiful. How can you do that, though, if you're hanging out with a non-believer? How can I convince a non-believer to do that? Hey, we should reflect God. I don't believe in God. Okay. You know, that's about how far the conversation is going to go, right? Man, it's really important to me. That we reflect Jesus. That's the purpose of this relationship. I don't don't believe in God. I don't believe in your God. I believe in a different God. I don't believe in your God though. That kind of makes it difficult, doesn't it? I can't hold them to any standard anymore. See, that's why God tells you, no, don't do it. Okay? Marriage is a service. Marriage is a way to understand God. It's a way to glorify Him. It's not a way for me to just simply get my sexual needs met. Okay? That's not the purpose of marriage. So it's not like, oh man, I'd rather get married than burn with desire, so I gotta get married. How do you think that would make my future wife feel? Hey honey, you're gonna feel my sexual desires. That's why we're getting married. You know? <laughs> like would that would that make any of you girls happy if some dude came up to you and said that? Man, it's supposed to be so much deeper and better than that. Yet that's all we treat it as. And God gets angry about it. Now, now let's see the second way that they blow it. Okay, so they 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 went out with non believers, so they weren't reflecting God. Okay? Here's another way that they didn't reflect God. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying. So He does not regard the offering anymore. Nor does He receive it with goodwill from your hands. And by the way, the New Testament authors were rooted in Malachi. When Peter was talking about marriage in 1 Peter 2 and 3, rooted in Malachi. It says, Husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel, that the Lord may hear your prayers. You notice what he's saying? He's saying marriage is so important. If I disrespect marriage as a husband, God says, dude, you need to deal with that. Our relationship can't be fixed unless you deal with that. That is serious. Okay? It says that God won't even listen to my prayers. Meaning, God is not going to respond favorably to me until I fix what's been broken. This is serious to God. Okay, then I'll see what they're doing. It says that it's literally covering the altar of the Lord with tears. Like God's crying over what they're doing. Okay? It says. Yet you have said, "For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and your wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but did not make them, one, but did He not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And I'm going to read verse 15 again from this cool little NIV Bible that both gave me. Okay, It says this, Has not the Lord made the two of you one? You belong to Him in body and spirit. And why has He made you one? Because he's seeking, He was seeking God the offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. That word treacherous, by the way, dealt treacherously. That word kind of has a wide berth. We've seen it used many times in the Old Testament. okay? And more often than not, God uses it as a way to describe His relationship with the children of Israel. He says, you've dealt treacherously with me. Okay. Now, just on the face value, it just means you've dealt deceptively with me. Okay. But we have to understand that word goes pretty deep and it sinks into a lot of problems that are in a lot of marriages today. You've dealt treacherously. You've dealt deceptively with me, okay? How many marriages struggle because there's deception? Just simple lock, lack of trust between the spouses because there's no honesty there, okay? All the men that I counsel, every single one of them that is struggling with their marriage and they're struggling with, with the what has happened in their sexual relationship with their spouse, I have yet to have one of them come to me and be like, Well, before I got married, I sat down with my wife and I told her I had a major porn problem and I wasn't willing to deal with it, okay? And we just got married and now she's a little bummed at me. I've never had that happen. There's always been a level of deception through the marriage where even if the man goes and confesses to the wife that he's got a problem, he downplays it. It's like, well, I used to have a problem, you know, back in the day. But now my lust is gone and I'm just for you, baby, you know, and it just, it never works out though. Because that stuff just keeps coming back. Because there's the thought in the man that, well, when I get married, it's just going to go away. Because I, I now have a means to fulfill my sexual needs. It doesn't work that way. Okay? If you don't believe me, you can ask some married guys. It doesn't work that way. Okay? It always gets worse. Because you're hanging out with your wife, and she's not enough for you. So then you start lusting after other women. And you treat her treacherously, deceptively. And in every single one of the marriages that I've, that I've dealt with and counseled, the wife can forgive. More often than not, she can forgive. It's tough for her. She can forgive the sexual immorality. Okay? The thing that takes the biggest toll is the destruction of trust. Okay? The absolute annihilation of trust between the two of them. She's like, man, you've been lying to me for 20 years? For 20 stinking years you've been doing this behind my back and I haven't even known? And you pretended like nothing's gone on. And she has such trouble forgiving that because she how is she gonna believe him? And he comes and he's honestly trying to make reparations, he's honestly trying to change, and she doesn't believe that he's actually trying to change. She thinks that he's still lying to her. She cannot forgive the dishonesty, the treacherous nature of their relationship. And if you guys want a marriage that's gonna fail, go into it deceiving one another. Go into it with no honesty. Just be like, oh, everything's fine. I don't struggle in that way anymore. It's good. Okay? And watch that thing turn into a living hell in the next couple years. And because it will. Okay? Because when you're married to someone, they see everything in you. And they're going to know that something's up. It's not going to take long before they understand something's wrong. Something's not quite right. Okay? Now, he says something here that that makes me kind of think in certain ways that um, when he talks about treacherously, he's talking about an abusive thing that's happening. Okay, And for sure, um, what I just talked about, that level of deception, whether it's sexual sin or whatever, if there's deception happening in the marriage, that's, that could be considered emotional abuse, in my opinion. But um, in verse 16, he says, For the Lord God of Israel says he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. Okay? So there, there is a little thing in there that this may include physical abuse, okay? Physical or emotional abusive things that are happening in the marriage, okay? So, when God looks at men who are treating women that way, their wives that way, He's angry. And He says what? I have been a witness between you, okay? When we get married, if I say my vows, okay, there's a reason why this this whole tradition has happened inside of our church, where where ministers oversee the marriage. okay? That's to be a symbol that God is present at those vows. That He hears them, and He holds you accountable to them. And He sees everything you do, not just with your actions, but with your, with your heart, and how you're treating your wife. Okay, And God says, man, if you act treacherously in your marriage, that's something that makes me angry, makes me upset. says it makes him cry, man. It covers the altar of the Lord with tears. It makes him so, so angry. Okay? Because of what he intended marriage to be and what you're showing people it can be. Okay? Because guess what? Your kids are going to see how you treat your spouse. Notice what he says. I desire godly offspring. I desire for you guys to have kids and to raise them up in the knowledge and the beauty that is in me. That they may understand what I'm like. That when they look at your marriage, they see my relationship with you. That they understand so clearly what a beautiful covenant this is. Okay? God intended that. And He says, Into the world now, you are now becoming a horrible example of me. Now, people, when they look at your marriage, they see how crappy I am. Like, man, dude, God kinda sucks. Dude, if God loves me like that guy loves his wife, he ain't into me. You know? Dude, if I'm to submit to God the way that that wife submits to her husband, dude, I guess I should just yell at him and belittle him all the time and just like call him an idiot all the time. I guess that's what I should do. And they mock. It's a literal, God says, dude, that's a mockery of my relationship with you. It's a complete pollution of it. And I hate it. I really, 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 really hate it. And you guys are going to see, you guys are going to see in your life these bad marriages that reflect so poorly on God. And people don't even want to be in a relationship with God anymore because of the relationship they see with their parents or with other married couples. Like, man, I guess, I guess God could be into me for a couple of years, but eventually He kind of is not into me anymore. He gets tired with me. He gets bored with me. He wants other things. You know? I guess He really never thought I was beautiful to begin with. You know, I guess he just kind of wanted something from me and now it's over. You know, and you see these marriages fall apart in front of your eyes. You see people who, man, if they make it, praise God, they make it, but they hate each other, you know, or you just see one spouse just kind of like sucking it up. And that's what she, that's what she or he thinks that marriage should be. Man, I should just suck it up because God hates divorce. So I should just suck it up and not say anything and just allow this person to abuse me because that's honoring to the Lord. You know, they don't get it. They don't grab it. They don't grab what God's talking about here. And and it's so interesting what he says. He says, the Lord God of Israel hates divorce. The people of Israel, and I'm going to say this, if you read the book of Nehemiah, they weren't divorcing their wives. That wasn't what they were struggling with. God says, I hate divorce. Now, it's very interesting, and a lot of theologians have thought through this. Okay, and a lot of them, and and I tend to agree with them, look at it like this. If you treat your wife like that, that bad, if you're physically abusive to your wife, and if you do something this bad, God might look at you and be like, you're not even married, in my eyes, anymore. You have so abused this relationship, I don't even see a marriage anymore. Okay? And that makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense to me that God would look at a marriage like that and just be like, dude, I'm not, I'm not in that marriage. Because it says that God created marriage. And he's going to look at it as this is not a marriage. I don't know what that is, but it ain't a marriage. It's an abusive family life. That's all it is. And I do not get any honor or any glory out of it. So God may even look at that. God may even look at people like that and just be like, dude, you're not married anymore. There's no marriage happening. Okay? And I think that that's cool. I think that God is, is so beautiful in the scene. Because back in the day when Malachi wrote this, There was so, including in God's people, especially in that day and age, there was really no rights for women. No one was looking out for women. But here comes God, man, the defender of women. He's like, no, you can't treat women like that. And I think that's so beautiful. And I love that. Wherever the gospel goes out, wherever God goes, he gives liberty and honor to women and respect to women. And I love that. I love that about God. I love that because there's something in me Something wicked in me that wants to devalue women and objectify them. Okay? And that's proven by the fact that I watched porn for so many years. Okay? If I didn't want to objectify and devalue women, what the heck was I doing? There's something in me that wants to do it. And it's only when God comes in me and shares with me His value of women that I see them the right way. And I see them as beautiful. Instead of just as Objects. You know, there's something that has to happen in me that God and only God can do. Okay, in this world, this culture that we live in, don't let people tell you that we value women in this culture, because we don't. When I watch TV, I do not see a valuing of women. Okay, how many people in this world, if I were to tell them, like, if, let's say my mom, okay, my mom didn't, because she's crazy and she likes to work all the time, but like, Let's say my mom told people, like, hey, I'm a, I was a stay-at-home mom. How many people would look at that and be like, I honor that? What an honorable thing to do. Man, that you wanted to bring up your kids and the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ, and you just wanted to be there and see them develop in the Lord. That's so awesome. What a, what a godly thing to do. But they'd be like, man, you kind of, was this, like the 1800s? You know, you, you just didn't care about your education. You didn't want to be a women's lib. I just want to throw it out the window. They don't value, they don't value the part of a woman that God put inside of you to be so valuable. Not at all. They don't value that. Okay, a woman is only valued based on her ability to perform as a man or her prettiness. That's it. That's why you're valued. You're still objectified. We've just found a different way to do it. It's not beautiful. It's not honoring to the Lord at all. Yeah, I like reading and listening to, to these like, uh, things that the Jewish women used to do. And these Jewish women, I love it. Just like, they would always hold their newborns and they would just whisper over them, man, like Yahweh loves you. And I think that's so cool that God developed it that way, that He wanted the woman to be the first person to teach the kid about the beauty of God and how much He loves him or her. I think that's Amazing. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it's cool. And again, my mom, she worked part-time. It's not like she was at home with me all the time. It's like I said, she's crazy. She works. She's like pushing 60, and she's still working like 60 hours a week. It's like crazy, man. She's nuts. But you know, like, But she was there for me, and I'm so thankful to her that she was. She was the first person to tell me that Jesus loves me. That's awesome to me. I think that's so cool. She was the first person to teach me about the Bible and to go through it with me. You know, my dad was obviously involved. He was there. But man, like she was more important in my development in that way because she was there more. Okay? But do we see that as valuable in our culture or not? And I think that that, if we got back to the Bible, if we really understood God, we would understand why that's so important. And we would start honoring His institution again okay which is what I desperately want for this culture but we won't we're not doing it you know and I desperately want that for your guys lives girls I want you to understand your value guys I want you to understand how to respect that value man that's a beautiful thing that God always intended from the beginning